At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Welcome to Healthcare Americana, coming to you from the Freedom Doc Studios. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We talk to innovative clinicians, policymakers, patients, caregivers, executives, and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. We take you behind the scenes with people across America that are putting patients first and restoring trust in American health care. One of the core tenets on anybody who's ever heard our show or heard our introduction is that we want to emphasize that we are putting patients first. One of the best organizations that I've come across in my career who live that mission day in, day out, is Patients Rising. We've talked to Patients Rising in the past before, and that's why I'm really excited to do this episode with McKay Jemison, the Acting Executive Director at Patients Rising Now. McKay, thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Thanks for having me. Thanks for that compliment. Uh, I think we share that goal that uh, healthcare should really be designed around the patient first and foremost. And I'm happy to have that conversation with you as well as talk about, uh, I think, one of the more most important issues that are going to be impacting patients, uh, which is the accelerated approval program. Now, putting patients first, obviously, like you just said, and I see it in my day in, day out, usually it's a dollar sign that comes first on any type of healthcare interaction or healthcare innovation. It's all about either how to get more money out of a patient or how to increase the margins and then you, we have just funny money and it just kind of it kind of gets lost there and then people get upset and throw their hands up and want government to come in and cure everything. What I love about patients rising is that you take that and you say, well, wait a minute, let's do right by people first. And, you know, when you guys came back across our radar, like I was really excited because I've enjoyed talking to you before, but you came back with a purpose and like you talked about before, you know, what, uh, what you call what we call the accelerated approval program from the food and drug administration. So we might be using some acronyms here moving forward, FDA versus the AAP. And it, it, to my research and my knowledge, McKay, like this program is an overall positive positive. And I'll let you put it into your own words, how you explain that. But to me, this is the program where we can get experimental drugs, experimental policies, not necessarily short circuit the approval process, but let's get it into testing. Let's see if we can help people live longer, cure terminal diseases, give them a fighting shot. I'd love to have your own words of what FDA's AAP, the again, the accelerated approval program means to you and your side. Well, first, I think your point about the healthcare system and really being kind of funny money is, is spot on. I, I just always like to point out that the way that the healthcare system was designed was actually never centered around the patient to begin with. When you go back to the 1940s, you know, when there's uh, efforts to sort of tamper down inflation at that time, wage controls went in place, which then created, uh, in order to encourage talent, uh, health benefits or health insurance, 
so the, the product was always being sold to the employer or always sold to the third party. It was never really designed with the patient in mind. And so I think that's always important context with a lot of healthcare decisions and healthcare decision making. The Accelerate approval pathway, on, on the other hand, is actually a uh, program that was developed out of the patient advocacy movement. It goes back to the HIV AIDS crisis in the 1980s and 90s. Uh, as you, should, you know, as many of your listeners will know, people were incredibly desperate for new therapies. HIV AIDS uh, was a ter- is a terrible disease that's now become a chronic condition largely because of this accelerated approval pathway. And so, as you said, this is a valid scientific approach that has been endorsed, backed, and turned into an approval process by Congress and the FDA. And now it's being undermined, not by Congress, but by, frankly, bureaucrats within CMS who uh, are now wanting to second-guess, basically, the FDA's approach. The accelerated approval pathway has simply come up with measures that are scientifically valid that can be used to fast track uh, a drug far faster than it would in a normal clinical trial process. This is particularly important for, you know, the most deadly, the most difficult to treat conditions. You know, many, many times the trials that would be required to get the traditional approval will last longer than a lot of times these patients would have to live. And so, this has been actually something that makes a lot of sense. Could there be improvements? There can be improvements to any government program without a doubt. But the core of what it's done, um, it's had an incredible effect on transforming HIV AIDS, certain cancers, and now we're starting to see the fruits of that also in a lot of difficult rare diseases. So the AAP program, and I think most people listening would be like, well, yeah, that's really great. If we have some experimental drugs out here, let's give people with a terminal condition, let's give them the, the option to say, look, we don't know if this is going to work or not. It could, it could really, really help you. It could do nothing, or it could be negative for you, but... If you want to give it a shot, let's give it a shot. So I think most people would say, like, you know, this is this is a really good thing. So I don't say this very often on this show, but kudos to the FDA for saying, you know what, let's give the people the options out of here. There's always another side of the coin here. And it's funny, we're talking about money and we're talking about patients, how you know things are paid. And so now you have CMS going in here. And I got a lot of questions about this, you know, how this, why, what, how, where, when. But CMS is looking at this and saying, we don't think this is a good idea. Is that what's going on? Basically. So it is without a doubt about money and not necessarily going after the smart money. It's, it's actually going after what they consider easy. I, I want to correct you on one little thing. These are not experimental medicines. These are medicines that are formally approved by the FDA. The only difference is that they have to go through a process of doing a confirmatory trial, which is basically demonstrating that the drug works. So accelerated approval is a valid FDA approval uh, program. It's been in place for you know two to three decades now, been incredibly successful. And in fact, there's been no pushback from uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid until just in the past few years. And, and the highest profile example of this has been with the Alzheimer's drugs that have come to market over the past year or two. But there's actually some efforts prior to that with some cancers, uh, cancer drugs uh, that, that CMS was unsuccessful at actually trying to ration the use of those because the cancer community is very well, you know, organized, mobilized. Not to say that the Alzheimer's community is not, but 
let's just say that that political circumstances worked in the in the favor of CMS at that moment in time to put these restrictions in place. And so now what's happening is you, you will have these drugs that are approved, but they're having to go through these, this incredibly bureaucratic system with Alzheimer's, for example. Now that it has to go through a doctor registry. So your doctor is going to have to register into this program to even just have access to this medicine. So this is not going to be a simple process. Uh, like you typically would go to see a doctor and get your medicine. It's it's something that is going to have a lot more hurdles, which is there's a lot of questions about while CMS says that they've removed the financial barrier for physicians to participate, we're also doing this at a time when physicians are complaining about just time, prior authorization, a lot of other uh, just bureaucratic things that they have to deal with in their own day-to-day activity. So this is just adding one more piece of paperwork, an important piece of paperwork, but it's adding one more thing, one more burden to both the doctor and the physician, particularly those in rural areas that don't necessarily have you know, the day-to-day resources to, to you know, do what needs to be done in these circumstances. So that's something we're particularly worried about. And then our bigger concern too is that if you apply well, this, McKay, yeah. McKay, hold one second there. You know, I just want to make sure I, I, I get to set the groundwork here, right? For anybody listening, who's like, well, wait a minute, there's a lot right there. So, you know, so so we had the AAP program. CMS had no problem with it until a couple of years ago. Was there something that happened? I mean, obviously, COVID still relatively recently, but it, everybody blames everything on COVID these days. So it's like, well, it's just an excuse to have a shittier service or, or product there. But what what actually changed in CMS's mind that they threw up these barriers into these type of medications? So there's there's become a movement among, I would say, academics and those within CMS that they look at accelerated approval drugs as not being truly approved. They're only sort of given partial approval. Now, that's not true because Congress has formally made accelerated approval a valid FDA approval pathway. But this goes back to the point that I was trying to make about any drug company that has a drug that's approved under accelerated approval has to conduct these confirmatory trials. And there's been some instances where confirmatory trials can take longer than expected. In some cases, they haven't been done. Nearly all those cases, when they haven't been done, the drugs have been withdrawn. And I I believe it's about 12%, only about 12% of accelerated approval drugs have actually shown to not be working at, at the end of the day. So typically, the science is there, and there's already these mechanisms in place to do these confirmatory trials. But because of the nature of having to do a confirmatory trial, they're basically questioning the validity of that approval. And then you look at something like Alzheimer's, which is you know one of the epidemics of our generation, an incredibly expensive disease. It's starting to build the case to say, yeah, no, terrible disease, but we just don't know if these this drug's going to work for these patients. And so that's where they're starting to come up with these arguments. You mentioned registries, how physicians have to go to the registries, creates a burden to actual patient care. Give us some more explanation on really what these registries are, because I think if somebody hears the word registry, they're like, well, wait a minute. That that overall is a pretty negative word in the in the confines of any type of government interaction. What type of registries are we talking about here? What kind of hoops need to be jumped through? This is pretty unprecedented. So uh, we're learning as everybody else is as it relates to to the registries. But the idea is typically you, you often do see patient registries, especially in like the rare disease community, for example, because, you know, when you think about rare disease, you're, it's an incredibly small patient population, very difficult to get the type of clinical data you need to even understand and diagnose the disease, much less prove that a drug is successful. 
And so it's sort of taking that idea of a registry, but empowering it through the doctor or setting it up through the doctor. So the doctor has to enroll in the registry and I think continue to monitor that patient over the treatment cycle. But, you know, the reality is it's just a redundancy because as I mentioned before, all of these companies have to complete these confirmatory trials. And in one of the cases, one of the drugs that was recently approved has actually already completed their confirmatory trials. The drug is actually shown to work, but we're continuing to put this registry system in place simply as a means. I mean, there's no other reason than they're just trying to restrict access and prevent people from getting a treatment that they know works. I mean, what is the motivation to restricting access? It saves money. At the end of the day, this, this is about whenever you have a third-party payer whose focus is on you know balancing a budget over a calendar year, there's always, there's always decisions that are going to be made as it relates to cost. And they're going to argue, well, they don't know the long-term benefits of these drugs because it's going to be typically for those that have more earlier stage symptoms. It's not necessarily based off of what we know today. We don't know the impact of that 10 years now from the patient. So what type of cost savings, what kind of values are going to be truly there? But it's the responsibility of the manufacturer to establish that body of evidence and establish that value proposition over the course of the of the life cycle of that medicine. And these companies do it all the time. And so the biggest issue here is, is not that there's something wrong or something that's new. It's just that now we're creating a new layer of uh, sort of bureaucracy that's really interfering with patient access. And the bigger concern is now that they've opened up this door, what's to prevent them to start doing it in a lot of other disease areas? And they, they've been pretty open about saying that this is probably not going to be the only disease area that they start to do these types of measures with. And the other thing we know, too, since Medicare tends to be the, or is the largest payer in the country, this also empowers private insurance to uh, operate in similar manners as well. So while we may be talking about government policy, this is going to impact everybody at the end of the day um, across all disease areas. And, and that's why I'm, I think it's actually one of the most important issues from the patient community perspective that we really need to get our voice out there. on. Like I said, accelerated approval started with the patient community. Uh, it happened because the patient put themselves out there and said, we need drugs faster than what you're currently able to do. And we need to continue to have that momentum by lifting up patient voices so that we can continue to make sure that we have options that are improving the way that we are getting the best medicine to patients as fast as possible. I think it's always scary when the government solution to controlling cost is to add additional layers of waste and bureaucracy onto an already bloated, um, I guess, putting it nicely, uh, bureaucratic and, and government spending. <laughs> it's not, I, I don't mean to laugh at it. I'm like, just like, how is that anybody's solution? Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear back from our sponsor, Freedom Doc. And then when we come back after the break, I want to talk about patients rising role. And then um, in this fight, in this debate, as well as a little bit about you and, and how what your story is that led you here to get involved, because I think that's also a very, very powerful motivator for you and for your uh, organization. So, quick message from our sponsor, Freedom Doc. Physician burnout is a killer. It is driving our best and brightest out of medicine. The only solution to burnout is to be your own boss. The easiest way to be your own boss is to join the Freedom Doc Physician Network. Freedom Doc is a unified consumer brand and will fully finance your practice so that you can enjoy a healthier lifestyle, take better care of patients, and spend more time with your family. You focus on patients, Freedom Doc focuses on your business. So if you're ready to be your own boss, visit 
our website, freedomdoc.care, to learn more and schedule a consultation with one of our experts. Freedom Doc, accessible concierge healthcare. Now we're back with our regular scheduled programming. Once again, welcoming McKay Jemison, the Acting Executive Director at Patients Rising Now. McKay, we spent the previous part of the show talking really about the problem that Medicare has invented for Americans who are in need of fast-tracked medications, deal with, in many cases, very terminal, very severe, bad diseases and all the barriers and everything that come with that. So... Now that we've established, you know, that there's a big problem out here. What is your organization, Patients Rising Now? What are you doing about it? How are you getting involved in the fight? Yeah, well, thanks for that. Patients Rising Now, I think fundamentally is about lifting up all patient voices so that we can move our healthcare system to be more centered around the patient first and foremost. And so I, I would say, number one, we're, we're in the storytelling business. We help elevate a platform that lets patients kind of put these comp- complicated or wonky topics in real world perspectives. And then the other area that we're really focused on is helping patients become their own best advocates. So we have a very strong advocate development program. And then thirdly, you know, we're really focused on shaping both the policy and the business landscape so that it is centered around around the patient first uh, and foremost. And so those three things are really kind of the core of what Patients Rising now is. We help patients um, uh, be informed. We take on uh, issues that we think need to be better understood, like this accelerated approval program. And then with that education, we find that patients are very eager to contact their members of Congress or uh, at, at state level if there's relevant issues there, if necessary. And so we're really happy to help provide that platform and be sort of an organizing mechanism uh, for patients to be able to act. Because um, one thing that I know is that the patient, even though they're the most important stakeholder in the healthcare system, they're the ones that seem to be least listened to, particularly by the federal government. Now, your background is in pharmacy, you know, some of the bigger pharmacy companies out there. So this sounds like a fight that you've had day in, day out. Maybe not a fight is the wrong word, but these conversations you've had day in, day out. So, you know, when you walk into there, what is different from, you know, your approach when you are really tip of the spear for a lot of sick people who say, just help me, help me, give me a shot. Just give me a shot. That's all I want. Yeah, that's right. You know, my career started out actually in politics. I worked for uh, governor, one of the governors of Florida um, in sort of speech writing, communications, press secretary type work, and then moved on and worked for Pfizer for a little bit over a decade. And, and the funny thing is, I actually wasn't particularly that interested in healthcare when I left politics. I was really interested in, in working for a big company. Um, but, but wow, I learned so much in my time at Pfizer. I wound up uh, leading corporate affairs for um, one of Pfizer's businesses. So everything from advocacy, public policy, communications, et cetera, around the world. And so I really learned about not just the U.S. healthcare system, but health, other healthcare systems and who's doing things well, who's uh, sort of a laggard in some areas. I don't think a country has figured this out, if I'm completely frank. But really, at the end of the day, what's really driven me, my focus is I've, I've watched my mom or, and my grandmother uh, battle Alzheimer's. Uh, my I remember distinctly when I was five or six years old, my grandmother taking care of my great-grandmother. And then later on, my mom served as caregiver for my grandmother, and I saw the, the burden that that was taking. And then I'm also the father of a patient. My son has um, severe food allergies uh, and asthma, and I, I've just really come to know so many patients, so many people who 
are, are really needing help finding channels to let their voice be heard. And that's really what led me to leaving Pfizer and, and going into the patient advocacy world. That's really what motivated me was, you know, help sort of be champion, you know, use sort of my experience from working in a corporate environment as well as politics to help kind of the champion the needs of those who, you know, frankly, are trying to earn a living and trying to have a good life. You know, they don't have time to focus on, you know, all these policy challenges, political challenges that we're facing. So my hope, my hope is that we're providing a better channel to let their voice be heard and hopefully making better policy. Now, when you walk into, you know, the walls, uh, the walls of the Capitol or, or wherever you're out, you know, in Washington, you know, I want to give listeners some hope out there because it can get a little bleak talking about looking at the federal government for any type of innovation or to fix anything. Do we have advocates in Washington who are like, yeah, this is crazy what CMS is doing. Let the FDA do their job. Let's clear them. Let's help people out. Well, I'm really happy to say that at the end of July, we did a briefing for uh, staffers of members of Congress and on this particular topic. And that briefing was sponsored by a Democrat and a Republican member of Congress, which was really a positive sign to me because it, what this day and age can you get a Republican and Democrat to agree on? And, and, and frankly, there's some Democrats and there's some Republicans that may not necessarily agree on even on this particular topic. But I think that that sent a strong statement that, number one, we can we can cross bridges when people understand the real world impact. And at that panel, we had uh, Major Mel Mann, uh, retired major, who was actually is actually the longest living Gleevec patient. Uh, so he had. Uh, a type of cancer. And, and frankly, because of this accelerated approval program, you know, he not only well past, you know, the five-year survival rate, you know, he continues to live today. And he first started in that clinical trial program in the mid to late 90s. So, I mean, that really shows, that's really a testament to how important that this accelerated approval program has been to changing the trajectory of, of really, really deadly diseases. That's fascinating. Good for him too. And and um, I bet that was a, probably a, a very powerful testimonial. It's got to be energizing to be in your seat and be talking to the people that, that Patients Rising represents. When you hear stories like that and you're interacting with people and you understand the organization has the ability to go out and really help people, I mean, what does that do for you on a day-to-day basis? Do you, just, do you spring out of bed and, and greet the sunshine every morning and just can't, get wait, can't wait to get started? I love this work. Uh, I have a tremendous amount of passion for it. Uh, I spend so much time just trying. In fact, my biggest challenge may be prioritizing what <laughs> and, and really staying focused on, you know, one, two or three priorities because there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of needs that are out there. But you're absolutely right. When you, you know, I, I've spoken to patients in crisis and I've spoken to patients who have had victories and both are energizing for, for very different reasons. But it, without a doubt, I, I, it's very clear to me that if, if we aren't here, because uh, the one thing about Patients Rising that makes us different than other organizations that are out there is we're not disease specific. We care about all patients uh, at all points, you know, in their sort of diagnosis and their path as patients, uh, whether they have an incredibly rare disease or whether they have a uh, sort of more common uh, disease like, you know, heart disease or, or Alzheimer's. So we really care about trying to help patients and, and really influence policy across the board. And I, I think that we're able to have sort of this more holistic view on the healthcare system and what really needs to be addressed. And that's my hope is that we're able to really challenge the status quo, bring some fresh thinking and ideas because healthcare is 
desperately in need of some fresh thinking and ideas. And hopefully working with you, working with the private sector, working with entrepreneurs, with just creative people, we can start to just rethink the way that we do things. Now the challenge is going to be there's a lot of well-financed institutions out there that do like the status quo the way that that, that it is. And any anything that changes that is not necessarily even if it is in their interest, they can't get their head around that right now because they like they like the system the way it is. We like to call them entrenched. There's sometimes there are they're very entrenched entrenched uh, barriers, roadblocks. But uh, like you said, you you bring patient support, you bring the general population who are like, yeah, this this actually makes sense. This is simple. This makes sense. And we have very smart people over at the FDA that say. All right, let's give them let's give them a shot here. So, I guess in a full circle goes down to those dollars and cents, and there's just got to be other places where CMS can cut out waste and eliminate waste to, you know, save a dollar that isn't putting direct lives in danger. It's not the accelerated approval program. I mean, the savings from that in the grand scheme of Medicare is 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 you know minute. And this is the question I always ask, and, and can never get an answer. Is you know why don't we ever take the Pareto principle to, to healthcare? You know, sort of that eighty twenty rule. And why do we continue to think that having a healthcare budget that was designed you know sort of in the mid fifties, mid sixties, continues to make sense in the twenty first century when we see such rapid changes in science, technology, medicine, even finance itself. Um, and yet we're still very beholden to hospitals are going to have their budget and, you know, we're going to have the doctor's budget here and then we're going to have this pharmacy budget over here. And it just creates sort of these turf wars of entrenched interest just by nature. Absolutely. Okay. Last question for you. What's next for patients rising? Where are you guys going from here? Yeah, again, I, our strength, I think, is really in elevating patient voices, and we really want to be in a patient storytelling business, as well as being really strong at helping uh, all, all patients who want to be advocates be really strong advocates. We have a great master class program, which is almost like a university-style program. And so in 2024, we're going to take those strengths along with our experience in policymaking and um, create the new Patients Rising, which is going to be what is currently Patients Rising now. And then we're going to take we have a patient helpline that basically helps patients with any need uh, and turn that into the Patients Rising Foundation. So we're hoping to really rapidly increase the amount of uh, engaged patients that we have in our network. And we're really proud to, uh, because we're a nonpartisan organization, really have patients that come from all walks of life that represent America across the board, across the spectrum. And we find that we are able to unite them on a lot of uh, very important issues to hopefully go out there and be a voice for change. And finally, the final, final question, how can somebody get involved with your organization if they have health needs, if they feel lonely, abandoned, forgotten, and they want to support an organization that actually brings Democrats and Republicans together to agree on something? Yeah, thank you. Um, if you're interested in being an advocate, patientsrisingnow.org is the website. Or feel free to email me, McKay, M-A-C-K-A-Y, at patientsrising.org. That's the best way if you're interested in, in getting involved as an advocate. If you have specific needs and you need our helpline, by visiting Patients Rising and searching for our helpline, uh, we have people who are there, work around the clock to get you know people whatever needs they need. Like I said, the number one issue we deal with is transportation, uh, getting people to their medical appointments and things like that. But we deal with other issues like insurance issues and things like that. So those are the two best channels. McKay Jemison, Acting Executive Director at Patients Rising Now. McKay, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on Healthcare Americana to tell your story. Thanks for having me.
That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com to catch previous episodes, subscribe to our mailing list, and visit our online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all of our episodes. Visit the shop and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced and managed by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.